Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks, team. Can we thank the team for helping us with this this morning? Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, everyone. Hey, you can have a seat, everyone, and uh, thanks for singing and for being with us and for learning some new songs, and I always think about that. If you're here for the first time, you're like, I don't know any of these songs, you know. Uh, we're happy that you're learning that with us, uh, and also, if you're watching online, especially maybe you're at Ambrose House or uh, you're connecting, uh, yeah, you're downtown, you're watching, and uh, you know, we're connecting with some students downtown, and there's a home group that happens there. Uh, we're just happy that you're tuning in. Uh, how y'all doing? Good? Everyone's okay? Some of, you, some of you look mad. Maybe it's the light. Some of you are like, I don't know about this guy. It's good to see you. I want to tell you like one thing uh, that's really, really important. And, you know, I find this happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you that sometimes the way we live in our culture, we tend to care about the things that are the most important this week, right? A few weeks ago, everybody was ready to move to the Ukraine and learn how to fight, Right? Now it's like, oh, is there still a war in the Ukraine? What's happening there? You know, every time something happens in the culture, it's like a big blurb on our, our phones, uh, TV, and that becomes the focus. And we can forget the discipline of paying attention to the right things for a long time, right? Just the discipline of saying, this is going to be important when the world stops talking about it. This is still going to be important when nobody thinks it's a cool idea. And I want to tell you about an important thing that we're doing next Saturday night and even next weekend that I want to invite you to that's still very important to us as a church. And it has to do with our church learning and thinking more carefully about our relationship with indigenous people in Canada and in North America. For, for years, you know, we've missed the chance to really reflect, to repent, and to really carefully listen to so many things related to reconciliation. How many of you heard that word before? Right? What does it mean to reconcile broken relationships? Things that the church has done that we will forever be ashamed of related to the First Nations people. So next Saturday night, 7.30, we're having an event here with a, an indigenous leader that's part of our Alliance family. It's part of this community. And he's going to be with us just sharing a little bit about his story, what it means to grow up in an indigenous community, what, it's, what it means to be in the context where the church wasn't always doing the right things. And so we would love for you to like, I almost want to say, I never say this, like grab your phone right now. <laughs> you know, and if you have something like Saturday night, After church, you can call that person and tell them you can't make it because you're going to be here. Uh, we, we'd love for you to come to this. Just, it's a listening time. It won't be too long. You have to register to come to it. Just register so we know how many people are going to be here. On our website, you can register there. And Howard Jolly is, is a gift to us, our, our church. And so uh, look forward to having you there so we can learn together. I think a lot about how easy it is for us to forget, you know, the things that God wants to heal in our world and heal in our lives. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about healing. And I don't know what comes to mind when you think about healing, but when I was thinking about my sermon and what to call my sermon, uh, the, the idea that came to mind is how healing happens. How healing happens. Because oftentimes when I think about healing, maybe you grew up this way, healing for me was kind of like a spontaneous, almost magical thing. Like, come to the front, I'll pray, and you'll be healed. And if you're not healed, then it's your fault or it's my fault or, you know, too bad, you're not going to make it, whatever. Healing tends to be kind of mysterious and magical, sometimes instantaneous, The person said the right things, or the priest put oil on me, and I was healed. And that type of healing happens sometimes. God does something powerful, and it, it just changes your life, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. But when you read the Bible, you realize that that's not the only type of healing we learn about in the Bible. The actual more regular healing that we learn about in the Bible is the kind of healing that requires all of us to be honest about where we're at. That there's a healing that happens when we bring to God the most broken things, and he says, I'm so happy you're here. I love you and watch how I take the broken things around you and make you whole and make other people whole. 
And I want to talk a little bit about this because a lot of people, you know, want healing. I know people that you know and that I know that we love, that we see pain or suffering, things that are going on in their lives. I don't know if you've thought about this. You, you ever think of someone that you know that you see them and they're going through a difficult time or they're, they're even hurting themselves by wrong decisions and you feel like you want to help them, but you really can't? You're like, I, I can't get them to listen. Or maybe if you're a parent, you know that feeling, right? Wanting, wanting to help your kids and feeling like, they're at the age where they're going to have to make their own decisions now. You know, there's some of those interactions that we have, and today we're going to look at a person in the Bible who's doing something that is so unacceptable. But the Bible tells us that in this difficult moment, and if, if you've read through Corinthians, you know what this moment is, God's going to say for healing to happen here, there needs to be serious honesty. And we're going to talk about that. If you haven't been with us, you, you maybe don't know this, but we've been learning about a church in the Bible, and this church was like, if you can think of the worst thing the church has ever done, this church kind of is in the top category of really, really bad churches. You know, I meet people sometimes that I'm like, I'm never going to church. Christians are hypocrites. I'm like, yeah, got that right. I'm like, Christians don't. I'm like, yeah, you got that right. You know, we have all the things that Christians have done. Any of you? A list in your mind? No? Okay, because if you don't have a list, you're with the problem. Okay, so <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just a joke. Online, no comments, all right. So, uh, you know, we, we think of all the things, and then we realize, wait a second, when you read the Bible, this has been a problem for a long time. People who so easily say, oh, of course I'm a Christian, but never live like Jesus. People who so easily say, I believe in God, but never model a life of what it means to worship God. This is like not a new problem. This has been there for a long time. And the gift of the Bible was to invite us into that place to hear about how God was reminding people that he must heal that. He must correct that. He must deal with us in a new way. And we have to be honest. And so if you've been following with us, you know that we're looking at a letter in a book called uh, 1 Corinthians. It's actually a letter to a church in a region called Corinth. And you know what? I was studying this week and praying and preparing, and I thought, what a blessing for us to have our Bible the way we have our Bible, like we have all the letters that we can read, like whenever you want, you could just be like, if you're reading your Bible, we hope you are, right? But the people in the Bible don't really have a Bible the way we have our Bible. Like they don't have all of the books there. They don't have all of the letters together. They're getting letters at different times. And some of the churches are sharing letters with each other. So that one week they read one letter and we share it with another church and another church is reading the letter. So we are so blessed to have almost all of these letters that took time for them to come together in our Bible. And if you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We'd love to just give you one for free so that you can hear with us kind of the things that, that, that draw us to want to grow. They draw us to want to love Jesus. They draw us to want to be honest so that we can be what? Healed. So that we can be healed. So that we can hear God say to us, I love you so much. I'm not going to leave you like this. I love you too much to just let you go on ruining your life. That's not going to happen. I love you too much. Just come and be honest and watch what healing looks like. I, I want to tell you a personal moment. Like when I'm reading the Bible or studying for the church, when I'm teaching, sometimes there's some verses that jump out at me. Like I'm like, and that's more of my devotional time. You know, like sometimes you have a time in the week. Maybe if you're busy with young kids, it's hard to know how to do that. If you're a student with school, it's hard. But we encourage you maybe to find a time in the week where you slow down and you maybe read one chapter. Some of you, we've encouraged you to read two chapters of this letter like every week. Some of you are so like fresh, you already read through the whole letter. And I'm going to ask you to put your hand up so we can all pick on you. Okay? You're just like, I read all of 1 Corinthians and I even read 2 Corinthians and I'm so excited I'm writing my own Bible. No, no, don't do that. So just relax, relax. Okay? So two chapters, three chapters, you're reading through this letter, you're learning, and sometimes God brings to your attention a verse that's for you. A reminder that God's like, hey, hey, I want you to remember the promise of this verse here. And I want to read for you a, a, a passage that for me, it's in chapter 2. We're going to talk about chapter 5 and chapter 6 today. They're juicy. Oh, are they ever. Chapter 2. And I want to kind of like set up like some stepping stones for us before we get to chapter 5 and 6. Because chapter 5 and 6 are like spicy and messy. And many of you are going to get offended when I read it. So it's great. So let me just kind of take you in baby steps. But these verses kind of jump to the front in chapter 2 of Corinthians, and I want to read it for you. It's a beautiful section that is really, really hopeful. When Paul writes to the church and he says this, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us 
by his spirit. How many of you have heard something like this before? That the idea that the Bible talks about that God has prepared things that you can't even imagine how beautiful, how good, how loving are the things that God has prepared for you and I so that he would show us how much he loves us. Now, if you're a parent, you know the feeling of this because we're always preparing things for our kids that they don't even pay attention to, right? Like I remember like when I was really, really young, like how in my home I grew up where sometimes my mom was preparing a meal for me, right? And I was like, I'm tired. I get home and I'm hungry. And I'm like, and, and you go and there's something left for you. I'm like, someone thought about me. They were preparing something when I didn't even think that they would do this. Just think about that and multiply that by a thousand. That God is preparing things in advance, even when you're not thinking about it, even though you can envision how much God loves you, he's preparing things for us. And he's saying this to his people who are going through a very difficult time. We sang about this, but one of the hardest things in your life and my life will, will be, can we believe that God is preparing good things for us when our lives are falling apart? It's almost like, like an impossible thing to do. It's impossible in a storm to believe that God is still there in good ways because you feel like God has what? Forgotten you, abandoned you. And, and Paul is saying to this church, I'm going to say some really challenging things to you, but before I do that, I want to tell you that the reason I'm telling you these things is to remind you that the God who's teaching us this, the God who's speaking now is one who's prepared such good things for you because he loves you. And the things that I'm about to say, I don't want you to hear them as negative things. I want you to hear them in the context of God loving you. That something in you and in me oftentimes has to die, because we have to die to what we want, for us to experience these good things that not I've prepared for you, not you've prepared for yourself, but that God has prepared for you. And that God's like, I can't wait to show you these beautiful things that you're going to experience, because I love you. And I thought about this this week. I was traveling this week a little bit. I went up north to speak with some leaders who are part of, uh, of just a group of churches that we're part of. And I had a chance to speak there. And as we were going up there, I was driving. And honestly, it was so beautiful. As I drive north Quebec and you just see some of the scenery. Just go to the picture. Just, I, I, I didn't take this picture while I was driving. I want to take it. But uh, this is my drone. I stopped and my drone, I put my drone up. You're all judging me. It's on the internet. Okay, Google Images. And this picture, how many of you feel like when you think about the fall, this is one of the most beautiful things, like just stirs your heart, right? I know because many of you on social media posting cheesy pictures, right? You're like, oh, so beautiful. I love the season, pumpkins, whatever, whatever you, you do, right? And, and, and I love it too. Like, I'm like, this is so beautiful. And as I was driving, you know, I thought about this and I shared this with the leaders, that we are enamored, we continue to take pictures of something that's a reflection of trees dying. All these trees are dying. All these leaves are dying. And we think it's beautiful. We're like, isn't it great? How beautiful this is. And the trees, if they could talk, they're like, we're dying. It's not beautiful. We hate it. We hate the fall. We're like, we don't care. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. More pictures, more pictures. Right? We can forget, it's actually a beautiful picture of what Paul is saying to us in this letter. That even in death, something beautiful is about to emerge here that you don't see yet. And in this letter, if you've read this letter, Paul gives us a better image than the trees. He tells us the greatest image to remember that even in death, something new is coming is the cross. That's the, Im that's the greatest image, by the way. The greatest image that when you look at something that feels like this is broken, I'm dying inside, things around me are dying, nothing good can come of this, God's like, yes, something beautiful, more beautiful than you can even imagine or see or understand is coming out of this. And he says this, I want you to go back to the slide before this, and he says this, important, if you're taking notes, I need you to write this down. He says that the most beautiful things, the things that your mind can't even conceive, these things God has what? Revealed to us by his spirit. That God is going to start to show us and reveal to us, open our eyes to things that we cannot see on our own that represent that even in death, something beautiful can emerge now. That's something that you never thought was possible is happening now. And, and in this letter, that's being revealed to us by the Spirit to show us that as this church in, the New in, in Corinth and even us, as we surrender to God, as we let God help us get honest about the things that have to die in us, He can do something beautiful. This revelation is the revelation of Jesus on the cross. That the cross points to something mysterious. That no one in their right mind would believe that out of death, something more beautiful can come. Something new, something unexpected. And in the revelation, maybe you want to write this down, it might help you. When God reveals something, 
he always draws you to a more intimate place with him. God doesn't just reveal something that's like, oh, that's good information. I'll never care about that. That's not how revelation in the Bible works. The revelation of God, the things that God shows us that we never understood are meant to draw us closer to God. I think about this years ago. I was in a a counseling session with a couple and we were talking and they were preparing to get married. And as we were talking, I had a sense that, you know, there was some like blockage, like they weren't, something was a mix up. They weren't really sharing honestly. And at one point, the young girl who's like really excited to get married, she says, I need to say something to you, to her future husband that I've never told anyone. Those are always like scary moments with couples and really exciting moments. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to get spicy. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I need to tell you that when I was young, my father walked out on us and I never forgave him. And I'm afraid you're going to be that kind of father to our kids. And I just sat there. I'm like, okay, Jesus, you have to do what you do now. You got to heal something here that's big. I didn't know. I couldn't have prepared for that. But I remember a lesson that I learned in that moment, that her revealing that brought them together in a beautiful way they would have never imagined. That because she revealed something that nobody else knew, they were never going to be, they became closer, not more distant. That's how revelation works in the Bible. When God reveals something, it's actually meant to, it draws you in to this deeper place. Because in the revelation, God reminds us that he loves us. He loves us. And he calls us to this place. So first building block, remember what chapters are we talking about this morning? Five and six. Are they easy or spicy? Super spicy, little spicy, super spicy, super, super spicy. So Paul, he's like, he's kind of setting up the building blocks to get there. He's kind of doing that. So one, chapter two, he does this. And I want to show you something else he does in the next few chapters about before he tells them something that's really profound, he has to remind them of something. That when we learn to get honest about the broken things in our lives, we often feel shame. We all do. We feel like, oh, are we being, like, talk- are we being judged? Are we- What's going on? This is what he says. I want to read it for you. It's really beautiful. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Paul had planted this church, so he felt like a special relationship with them. So he uses this language. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy. Timothy is one of the leaders who's with Paul. He sends him to that church. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. If you're taking notes or you're in our home groups, this is a great text you're gonna, you can talk about. But it's the idea that Paul's like, one, I don't want to shame you. you. This is not about shame. And the other thing I want to tell you is what I'm telling you is what every other church has to learn as well. It's not just picking on you. It's not just saying you're not good enough. It's not because I know in my life that the devil loves to use shame to keep you from growing closer to God. Whenever you feel this, and our kids feel this, I feel this, you know, whenever something's highlighted that we have to address, we often feel like, like, why are you just talking to me? Has that ever happened to you? Even like in a funny way, you tell someone like, hey, you should clean your room. And they're like, well, why don't you tell my brother? His room is just as messy as mine. Like right away, you're like, how do I pick on someone else that's a little bit worse than me so that I don't have to be the person that we're talking about, right? We do this every time we get pulled over by the cops, indirectly. Cop pulls you over, you're going like, I don't know, five over. The cop's like, go away, mon ami, whatever. Pulls you over and you're like, isn't there a murderer in the city you could pull over? It was five. You think, who's worse than me that I could talk about so that we don't talk about me? Because I don't want to ever feel like shame. I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm not good. I, don't, I just need positivity, more positivity. You ever get that? It's too negative, too negative. All the cops are negative. Let's get rid of them then. Obviously, that would be so foolish. That's not what we're trying to do. Paul's like, this is not about shaming you. This is about telling you that God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. This is about telling you that real healing happens when you get honest about things that are happening that will destroy you from the inside out. Now, I wish healing just happened with we say our prayer and God will fix me like sprinkled with dust and I'll go away. No, no. Some of the most beautiful healing happens because we are honest first. And we do that. And so Paul says, I don't want this to feel like shame at all. And I also want to tell you that every other church that gathers together to worship Jesus has to pay attention to these things. That's good news. No matter where you think of the church today, anywhere in the world, think of a place in the world, a beautiful place in the world that's far away 
that you love to visit. That's on your bucket list. Think about it. Do you have it in your mind? Korea, Egypt, Lebanon. Comes to mind, right? There's a church there. The same things apply to them. Wherever they are, the same things will apply to that church that says we love God and that Jesus by the cross is taking our death and is making it brand new. As we die inside, he's taking and he's going to create something more beautiful than we could have ever even imagined. Paul's like, you have to, you have to believe that. You have to get that. And he does this and he invites them into this place because now he needs to tell them about the challenging issue. So I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to give all of you like 30 seconds to pick up, go get your kids and go home before I tell you what happens next. I'm kidding. But I want to tell you, I'm going to read what happens next because you need to remember one important thing. Paul is not with this church when he writes this letter to them. He's traveling. Most, most scholars think he's in a place called Ephesus, right? Maybe he's in house arrest, so he's not able to kind of travel too much, right? And he's writing and he's getting updates from other people about how the church is doing, right? Like we would give people an update about how our church is doing, right? And one of the things he finds out is shocking to him. This is what he says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Are you Paul wrote this and this was read out loud? Can you imagine if I read a letter of something like this about our church? By the way, I have something I want to read about some of you in the church that I found out. How many of you would be like, I'm out of here. Oh my goodness, I'm going to post about this on social media. One review, 180 Church gets one review, one star. You know what it would take to say there is an issue of such unacceptable behavior that a man is having intimate relations with his stepmother, and some of you in church know this, and you're not even addressing it. You think it's just fine. Actually, some of you are proud of it. Now take a deep breath. Okay? I'm going to just take baby steps and walk you through this. Because for us who live in the modern world, this feels so unacceptable. We think anything that has to do with our relationships is private. Especially relationships of intimacy and romance and all that. You're like, mind your own business, you know? Even in Quebec for years, you know? Government, stay out of our bedroom. Uh, this, all these things. And we read the Bible and we're like, oh my goodness, I skipped this part of 1 Corinthians, right? You're like, if you're reading this at, alone at home, you're like, uh, uh, that doesn't apply to me. Paul's like, it applies to all of you. That there's a way of life that Jesus has called you to and that your old way of life you should have died to but you have found a way to continue to call yourself believers and to still continue to live the way you used to live. Now, the reason this is such a big deal in Corinth is because Corinth is the capital of sexuality in the ancient world. It is like, it makes the Formula One of, uh, like show here in Montreal. You know Formula One is one of the biggest events in Montreal? It like makes the most money, most advertising. It makes Formula One look like a peewee hockey tournament. That's how big, Cor Corinth has three temples of the goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite is the great goddess of sexuality and romance. The word Afro from her name means to foam up from the sea, which means that all of us are meant to live at the edge of all of our desires, fulfill every single desire we have. You know what the Aphrodite, the goddess at Aphrodite and the people who went to this temple did? They were taught that all they are is their emotions and their desires. And whenever you have one, it would be authentic for you to fulfill that desire. You ever hear that before? Sounds like we're in Corinth today. Whatever you feel, you need to fulfill that. You see somebody and you like them, then you need to have them. And you're not hurting anybody. It's nobody's business. Do whatever you desire. And Paul's trying to say, whoa, 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 whoa. You are not every desire that you have. You are not just every emotion and every exciting feeling that you, you are not that. Now, you, you have emotions and you have feelings and those are a gift from God, right? But you cannot let the world you live in make you just those things. 
And on top of that, in the ancient world, there was a way of separating the spiritual life and the body. Means what you do with your body doesn't matter. Do what you want. But the inner life, like your spiritual side, that's important. And one of the practices that would have been even crazy for us to understand, that when you wanted to practice religion, when you wanted to kind of get the help of the gods, you sometimes went to a temple and you slept with a temple prostitute. You did this as a religious act. You did this as a way of saying, I want to just bring a sacrifice to this God. And think about living in this world for years, doing this for years, thinking like that's fine, and then you become a Christian. How long would it take to change that way of life when you realize, wait a second, I can't keep doing that. I can't just go to the temple have intimacy with a prostitute, and then be like, hey, church, let's stop at the church. It's going to be great. Right? Like, we'd be like, what? You did what? What did you just do? But Paul's like, I know for some of you, you haven't understood yet that God is changing not only the inside of your life, he's teaching you how sacred your body is, how sacred everything about you is. So you need to get serious about letting go and dying to the old habits that you had. One of the reasons he says to the church here that they're proud about this, one of reason, is because they had heard about God's grace in a way which meant because of God's grace, you know what? You can do whatever you want. You know what? God loves you. Come on. He's not going to get mad at any of this. It won't matter. Do what you want. I meet so many people that way. People that think, well, if God is love, that means God loves me and I can do whatever I want, right? That's not what the Bible means when it says that God is love. If you want to remember, it means that God is so loving that he would never let us do anything that would destroy us. That's what God is love means. It doesn't mean God lets me do what I want and don't infringe on my life. Now, I need to be honest with you. As I studied this this week, I thought this is going to be a hard passage to think about for those of us who live in the modern world where we feel so many things in our lives. One is we're very, very private. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Some of it is like part of our culture. It's private. You know, it's good. And the other thing, too, is I think, like, for many of us, we learn how to hide our sins better than this guy. Right? I'm like, wouldn't you just hide? How did they catch you? Because sometimes people would flaunt their sin because God's grace is greater. Tell people. Just tell people, like, what you did. Show people. Like, just, and Paul's like, I heard, and if this is true, I'm going to kill. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He was like, what happened? How did you miss this? And then it gets worse. Gets worse because this is what Paul says next about thinking about what has to happen now. He says, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Some of you are never going to read 1 Corinthians again. Like, remember not to read 1 Corinthians, it's intense. Paul says, You need to understand this that there's a responsibility we have to correct, to be honest, because the healing that has to happen now has to be with this person saying that was unacceptable. Now, if you've noticed, if you're taking notes, you might notice this. A lot of the reprimanding is towards the male person in the story. Likely because they had more influence and scholars are not sure if the stepmom is a widow stepmom or that the dad is maybe not around. Like, it's very common. We don't really know. But the Lord thought it would be important for us to have this story today in Laval, Quebec so that we would hear about it. And that we would learn that there's something serious about this. And that we would say, God, is there anything in my life that I haven't died to? That I think I could keep living? Like, I'm, oh, I'm your child. I'm in the Lord. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. It's amazing. And your life is like signs of you still being gripped by sin. Never set free. Paul would be like, you're proud of this? Aren't any of you embarrassed of this? Aren't any of you talking with each other and saying, this is unacceptable? He's writing that to us, to me, to you. And then he uses this kind of language. Now, if you're, if you're hearing the word judge, like judgment here, I know right away, how many of you grew up hearing very, very often, like uh, church is about judging people. The church judged me. I left the church. I hear this like a lot, you know. Like, you know, the reason I don't go to church, Pastor Dom, is I've been judged by the church. And you know what? Sometimes it's very, very true. Christians are horrible for this. Some of the most judgmental people I've ever met are Christians, not here, but around, around the area. 
Those who've received the most grace are the least gracious. Those who've been loved through the most difficult things see someone else, you're like, look at them. I'm like, look at them. You should have looked at you five years ago. So can I give you like an important distinction that I want you to remember for the rest of your life? There's a big difference between passing judgment and being judgmental. A huge difference. If you don't learn this, you'll never be able to understand the Bible. You can go to the next slide. I, I just, just for you to have this in your mind. There's a big difference between passing judgment and being judgmental. If you want to write this down, you can. If you have a good memory, try this. Passing judgment is making an assessment about somebody that you're with that you know acts in an inappropriate way. When you get a job and you have a CV, you put something things that you're like. And if you have in your CV, I'm always on time, I'm really good at work, I'm a great team player, la, 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 you know all the stuff you write? What is your employer, future employer, going to do? He's going to call your what? References. And your references are going to be like, hey, we might hire Dom. You know, he said in his you know, resume CV, he's always on time, and he, he loves to work as a team. And the old employer might say, oh, yeah, he's lying. He's never on time. He's not good with a team. That employer is passing. They're discerning a situation having been with me. They've watched me. They've assessed, and they're like, you know what? Not only me, you can ask other people on our team, and we've all seen the same thing. That's not judging someone. That's passing judgment on something that's a fact that people can go back to and say, is this true? You're like, that is true. You're lazy. You don't jump on time, and you know what? You're not going to work here. We take passing judgment and judgmental, we put them and make them the same thing. So nobody can ever say anything about us. To be judgmental is to speak about someone you do not know. To be judgmental is to talk about those who maybe you just know like in a very loose way and you're like, oh, look at them, look at the way they dress. That's being judgmental. Do you know them? Do you love them? Have you been with them? No. So stop talking. They're not the same. Paul is passing judgment as one who's been at this church, who loves this church, who knows the people at this church, who sacrificed for this church, and he has no problem writing this and saying, I am passing judgment on them. They must learn and know that this is unacceptable. Such a different thing. Actually, one of the most powerful things in my life was when people who loved me enough and who knew me met with me and passed judgment. Maybe you don't want to use the word judgment because it's big and scary, but they said, Dom, we've noticed a pattern in your life, and that's dangerous if you want to grow in maturity. People have done that to me. People have helped me to pay attention, to be like, I do that, huh? I didn't think so. And what do you think went through my mind right away? Let's talk about someone else at the church who's worse than me. Let's find someone else who's, you know, no, 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 let's talk about me. Let's talk about you. And we want to be a church that Paul, remember, is this to be shamed? No. Is this to be loved? Because God has good, beautiful things in store for us? Yes. So then when you hear it that way, you're like, okay, I have to hear it properly because healing happens as we become honest with certain things. How healing happens is not magical. Healing happens when we get honest about the things that must die in us. They must die. And they can die when we believe the words of Paul. He says, God has such beautiful things he's prepared. Just let that die. Just let that die and see. As he goes on, he tells the Christians, like next time they're together as a church, he says, this is what you're going to do. So when you are assembled and I am with you in the spirit, the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Like, I read this, and I thought, like, a finance update was hard. I'm like, I thought it was hard to just give, like, some updates. I'm like, what, what, how are we going to do? Who's going to do this? Whose job is it to do? To be like, hey, Billy, come on up. Sit here. <laughs> Sweating. We, have, we, we read Paul's letter. It's not good for you, bro. It's not going to be good. It's going to be a rough week. And the essence of this is not Paul being mean. He's just saying that there's something about a person who knows that they're part of a family that loves them. And if they don't want to get serious about owning up to this, they need to feel what it's like to be outside of a community that loves them. This is so hard for us to understand. You know why it's so hard for us to understand? Because we live in a world that when somebody approaches us with something or encourages us to grow, we leave and we find another church. Until somebody finds out there, and I say this to people all the time, you cannot outrun the things that God has to heal in your life. You cannot outrun them. You can try. Try. I tell people all the time, 
He's like, I don't have to deal with this. I'm going to move on. It was his fault. I'm like, okay, it was her fault. Or it was my employer. I'm like, well, some of this maybe is you. Let's, let's pause. Let's pray. Let's listen to God tell us he loves us. Let's hear how much he loves us, that there's a place to be honest and safe. Let's do that together, right? And some people are like, no, I'm doing my own thing. Cool. You can't outrun the brokenness that needs God's touch in your life. You can't. And the Bible tells us that when we don't get honest about that, it will follow us, and oftentimes even worse, our kids and the next generation, they pay for it too. You know how beautiful it is for us to have this letter? To read this and to see Paul saying, no, 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 no. The healing can happen here. Now, we don't know all the details. We don't know if at some point there's a great moment of like celebration, everybody gets it. But I want to tell you one last thing before we wrap up, that so much of this issue has very little to do with sexuality. Because we read this and we're like, we're, we're highly sexualized a lot of times in our culture. We think, oh, intimacy, sexuality, nobody should tell me how I should live with somebody. It's my life. You know, all that stuff, right? But what Paul's saying is that you've misunderstood how sacred your body is. You've misunderstood something that you've been taught your whole life. That your body is just there for you to use as you want. And when you die, your spirit will just go up to God and you're going to float on the clouds. And he's saying Christians have always held those two things together. That your inner life and your body, your physical life, are forever connected together. They're never just separate things. They're not just one is good, one is bad. They're both beautiful, they're both good, and they're both being healed. That's why, if you read chapter 6, you know that Paul's going to say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's going to say that the healing that's happening is actually the healing that because God is in you now, you're taking your body seriously. You're taking that what you do with your body is connected with how you live out your emotions and your desires and sexuality and all those beautiful things, by the way. They're beautiful things that we have to hold those together. And for some of you that are really, really advanced, you know that there's two doctrines that Christians hold to that are connected to how well we understand the sacredness of our body. One of those doctrines is the doctrine of the incarnation, that God took on a body. Merry Christmas. Okay? It's coming. And the other one is the resurrection, that Jesus was raised from the dead in his body. And when we see him one day, he will have a body. Do you see how important this is? That Paul's like, you need to have a, an appreciation and an understanding that God is healing your inner life and your body everything about who you are. He holds it together and he's like, you must trust that God can take something broken and make something beautiful out of that. He will do this. I think that this passage and this, this letter for many of us is hard to read because for some of us, kind of like, you know, I'm a Christian and I know some of these things and we forget. So before we close, I just want to give you a pattern that as you continue to go through the series with us, I want you to think of a pattern because if you just open your Bible and land on these chapters, you will be very discouraged. You will feel like, oh my goodness, like why would anybody be a Christian? This is like so crazy and like mean and push people out of the church. Like who does this? I don't want to be part of that. I want to be a place where people, where I belong. Belong means I can do whatever I want in our culture. It doesn't mean that in the Bible. I want to tell you three words that you should have in your mind for the rest of the time as you read this letter. That there's a moment where Paul asks us to remember who we are in Christ, to remember that we've, we've been given the promise and the revelation of the cross that can heal us. Then he calls us to repent at the right times. And then he reminds us that God can't wait to restore us to being part of the family. There, I, I, I tried so hard. I said, I need three R words. I hate doing that because it sounds so cheesy. I got three R words. We got t-shirts outside. You know, it's so corny. <laughs> Merge church, I hate that, I hate that. Okay, Sean, you know. <laughs> Remember, repent, restore. Remember who you are. You, you gotta be honest, things have to die now. You must repent of these things. But, but think about it. God can't wait to restore you. And for so many people, a sermon like this, you just hear the repent part. And judging, and I'm in trouble, and Someone's telling me I can't live how I want, and I thought God loved me no matter who I was. They just, they live there. Remember? Repent. Restore. It's almost like the pattern you need to hear as you read the, almost every chapter. You need to move in that pattern. And just feel that, that God is calling people 
to get honest because healing happens when we get honest about what has to die in our lives. It really does. There's no shortcut. There's no secret to this. As the band plays, I want to read you just one last thing Paul says to that church. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not, all, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. In that case, you would have to leave the world. So true, right? But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slanderer, drunkard, swindler. I just want to just confess something to you about my own life, something I had to grow in in my life. It took me a long time to learn this. That I grew up in a church that taught me the job of the church is to look at all the bad things that the world is doing and to criticize it. Did you hear what they're teaching in the schools now? Did you hear what the government is doing now? Did you hear out there? The, the trajectory of maturity was how much we knew about how we criticized all the people that were not followers of Jesus. And yet we rarely talked about all the brokenness and the garbage and the messiness that was happening very much in our own church. And my peers and my friends smelled that a mile away. They're like, I'm never going to be part of a church that's hypocritical like this. That they're so quick to look at all the other people in the world, but they're not honest enough to do what actually the Bible says we should do. Paul says, I'm not talking about anybody who's not here. I'm not talking about anyone who's not a Christian. That would be foolish. Why would we put on other people who don't believe in Jesus the requirements of following Jesus? But it's so fun in church because it leads to gossip and it's safe here. I'm, oh, it's safe. Don't go, there. don't go out there. You know what they do out there? I grew up in that kind of a church. And you know what? I developed that habit in my life that I started to do this. And I remember thinking, when I have kids, they can never hear me talk like this. They can never hear me talk about, oh, someone out there criticizing those people, the government, that, without saying, no, no, there's stuff here. Paul says, those of you who call yourself brothers and sisters, we're not just talking about someone who's done something sexually immoral that's unacceptable. Put the list back up, just the last slide. Just, he says, here's the list of some other things that I know are happening in your church. Among you, greedy, Idolat idolaters and people who like worship other things all week and then it's like let's sing hallelujah to the Lord slanderers people who talk bad about people they pretend to pray for them they pretend to care drunkards swindlers those who trick trick people with words with money lie listen does it feel heavy do you feel the weight of this all of you should if you're online and you don't feel the weight of this show up in person do you feel the weight of this? Good. I didn't write it. I just have to preach it. Because everything I'm saying and I'm reading applies to me as well. But what are the three R words? Remember, repent, restore. Our God loves us. Loves us. I love you. Like, I love you too much to leave this unattended. I love you too much to not highlight that this will destroy you because you were created for so much more. Beautiful things that who prepared in advance for you? God has been preparing them for you because he loves you and he loves me. I asked the band to just do this song one time. If you're in our home group, as a facilitator, it might be a spicy weekend week in your groups to work through some of this. But I'm going to have you stand and just let this song, as we sing the song and we wrap up, just give you a chance to say, God, okay, I want to remember that I'm your child. I want to remember how much you love me. And in that place, I want to be honest about things that have to die in me. And I want you to help me to see how you're going to restore and heal and bring new things out of things that are dying because you love to do that sing the song before we close God of all splendor wonder and might 
awesome creator, author of life, master and savior, holy divine, God of all splendor. Wonder and my who is like you? And who is like you, oh Lord, worthy of all praise? And who is like you, oh Lord, that all the earth proclaim your kingdom forever? Love shining bright, God of all splendor, wonder and might. Verse 2. God of all splendor, wonder and might. Essence of beauty and all that is right, King of all glory, heaven's pure light, God of all splendor, wonder and mind. Who's like you? Before I pray, just close your eyes. Just a picture with me, Jesus putting his hand on your shoulder. Maybe he would say to you, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Maybe he's saying to you, I love you so much, don't be afraid now. Maybe he's saying to you, you have no idea how many good things are in store for you and your family. Maybe saying to you, it's time to just be honest. Watch how I heal this. Just be honest. What he's saying to all of us is that remember, I died on a cross so that you would be whole. I hung on that cross so that sin would no longer have control over you. So that death and the power of death would never, ever be the final word about who you are. You are not you're just your emotions. You are not just your desires. You are not just what the world says about you. You are my child. Remember that. But now, I need you to repent of some things that will destroy you if you leave them unattended. They will destroy your kids and your grandchildren. They will destroy the church, the community of which I am the head of, Jesus says. So what are those things? Jesus would say to you and to me, what are those things? then he would say, I love you. This is about you knowing that you belong to a family that is making room for broken people. 
but is making room for those who feel that they don't belong because of their mistakes, because of their past life, but they belong here. And you will be the one to remind them of that because I loved you when you were broken. You are being restored now. In your rightful place of knowing that you have a voice now, a part to play now. And he would say, I have so many good things prepared for you. So many good things. The cross was just a glimpse of that. Father, today we, uh, we feel the weight of responsibility as those who've been given the gift of the scriptures, the blessing of reading and hearing and living the truth of your word. We're not going to lie. Some of these words feel like beyond us. And maybe they should because without the power of the Holy Spirit, we won't even desire to be holy. So Holy Spirit, would you be at work in us, reminding us of our place as those who've been set free by the power of the cross. Reminding us that it's safe, that this is not about shame or punishment, but about healing and about hope and about restoration. Walk with us as we live in a world that sometimes we find easy to criticize rather than being honest about what's happening in our life. Teach us what it means to be your people today in our world with our own temples and our own gods and our own temptations. Remind us that you are still at work, still calling us to model this new life because you have set us free. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. Thanks for listening, for learning. Before you head out, two little things, quickly. We have a prayer space here, and we have a team that would love to sit with you, talk, pray, anything you want to talk about. We want to just encourage you to go see our prayer space. Also, don't forget, Saturday morning, our Fall Fun Fest, we'd love to see you with your munchkins. Dress up if you want. Saturday night, join us as we learn about First Nations and the church. None of you are listening to me. Love you. Bye.